Thanks, guys. They do a great job, don't they? Yes. Okay. Well, for those of you who may be new or maybe first time, I'm not Pastor Adam Curious. And if you came or are here because they told you what a wonderful job he does from week in and week out, you'll just have to come back next week. And uh, we'll be uh, starting a new series in Colossians. Uh, but we are glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I hope that uh, you will be fed by the Word of God today. It's an interesting process that you go through when you don't do this all the time. Uh, even though I have done it before, you know, three hours ago, it was like, I got this. I've done this before, and then as it gets closer, and it gets closer, and you get right down to the last song, you know, and, and I'm over there drinking water because my mouth's getting dry, you know, and you start getting the shakes, but uh, thankfully, uh, the Holy Spirit is here with us, and uh, will teach us, and guide us, and direct us. So, we are finishing up the Ten Commandments with the last commandment today. And it's a, uh, it's very, this has been very interesting. I, I knew that there was a lot said, but uh, as I really started to dig, uh, I think we'll see some things today. So the Tenth Commandment, which is basically in a sum up, do not covet. But let's go ahead and read uh, there they are. Let's read Exodus 20 and 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, that kind of, uh, when you get right down to the last, I don't know if, if you have kids and you're fixing to leave, you're, maybe you're going off for the weekend or something and you're going to leave the kids with the grandparents or maybe if they're old enough, going to leave them there by themselves. You know, you start down a whole list of do's and don'ts and this and that and then, but, and you kind of save like the very best for the last or the most important for the last anyway. And so we've gotten down and we've gone through all Ten Commandments and it's even interesting in the way that God put this. He's, he starts out very specific about what we're not to covet. Houses and wives and, and male servants and female servants and ox and donkeys. And then he just says, well, okay, uh, and anything else that's your neighbor's, don't covet it. And that's kind of like the kids, you know, you, when you get right down to the very end, don't kill anybody. Don't burn down the house. You know, just, just uh, if we can stay within those guidelines, that'll be great. So covet. What is it that God sees, saw, about covet that he would make this one of the ten? If you, if you, had, uh, if you had been pressed with the task of coming up with ten commands to guide 
an entire new nation, which is what he was doing, uh, you know, you can see, don't commit murder. Uh, you can even to predict, protect property, you know, don't be, don't be stealing stuff. To protect people, don't be false, bearing false witness, you know, all that's good. And then certainly the first commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. But would you include covetness in as one of only ten chances, ten things that you have to, uh, to cover this legislation, these rules for uh, an entire nation, and later on, an entire, the entire world. So, let's look at uh, some things here. I want to... Uh, I kind of looked at this is Google, you know, everybody's big on Google, just just uh, as interesting enough. There are, there are, it said, 65,000 roughly ad agencies in America. They employ about 250,000 people, and it's a $166 billion industry, marketing and advertising. And you know this as well as I do, because everywhere, TV, computer, phone, the ads are popping up everywhere. You can't get rid of them. You get it, you know, turn off, 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 go away, go away, and they just, they just, they pop. And everywhere, you know, you listen to the radio, uh, billboards on the side of the road, you name it, it's advertising somewhere. Somebody is trying to influence you for whatever purpose, whether to get you to spend the, your money with them or whatever the case may be. But they are flooding your eye gate and ear gate with advertising and marketing on a continuous basis. Uh, and here in the West, we have fallen into that uh, where it's all about our stuff. And uh, if you're not, uh, and if you don't have the right stuff, as these ad and marketing people will assure you, you are not cool, not with it, uh, whatever the case may be. But, uh, but they are going to convince you that you need to do this or that or the other. And so we have whole teams of people with uh, degrees in marketing and advertising scheming uh, to, uh, to take care of your pocketbook or your time or your membership or whatever the case may be. So, let's look. I wanted to do uh, a little sort of definition thing real quick before we got uh, too far into this. What coveting is not, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll start with that so there's no, uh, we don't get mixed up about some stuff. Uh, covetous is not the God-inspired desire and ambition to do better, to further yourself, to maximize the gifts and abilities that God has blessed you with. Uh, I, so I don't want to, as part of what we're doing, I, I don't want to thank that, thank you to, want you to think that I'm saying that we don't, that you shouldn't exert yourself, that you shouldn't do the best job you can do, 
And so if, you'll, if you will stay within the guidelines of, uh, of what God has laid out for us, then you don't have, you will not cross over into this line of coveting. Uh, you know, I think the easiest way to do that is probably to do everything that you do as unto the Lord. And so everything at your job, at your work that you do, if Jesus is looking over your shoulder, uh, you are going to leverage uh, everything that you have to do your job. Uh, you're going to use your abilities and you're going to show up on time and you're not going to call in sick when you're not sick and you're not going to play solitaire on the computer when you should be working or all the other numerous things that we do. Uh, but rather, you're going to work just like God's looking over your shoulder because, and in fact, he is. Uh, but if that's what you were doing and that's what the people are doing around you and that's what your boss is doing, what a place to work. Is that not the kind of place that you want to work where, where everyone is looking out and leveraging their abilities and their talents and their authority or their power or whatever it is that they have uh, for the good of all, for the good of their coworker, for the good of their boss, for the good of the company that they work for? Now, opposite of that, what covetous is, is the unbridled, uncontrolled desire slash envy slash lust for what belongs to someone else. And you, number one, want it. And you, number two, think you're entitled to it. And then you, number three, this it's a progression that we go through which I think is one of the reasons why the good Lord saw this fit to do that. Number three, you start to resent them for having it. You'll stop at nothing to get it, and you're certain that if you had it, you would be happy. So this, is, uh, this just grows as time goes on. Once this, uh, this, this covetous, this is, it, and it starts with your eyes and goes from there. If you look at Genesis, uh, if you go back to the very beginning and you look at Genesis when uh, and Eve in the, uh, when she was being tempted, verse 6 says, so when the woman did what? Saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. This starts with what you let your eyes gaze upon. And then it, it and then it goes down into your heart and diseases your heart and your soul as time goes on. So this covetousness takes hold of you and find and you find yourself at some point saying, Well, uh, I'm in it for no one but me. I'm gonna get mine, and I'm gonna do it at any expense by whatever means are necessary. Because I want it. Uh, and when that gets down into your heart, uh, it starts to change you and it starts to, uh, to affect your life in a very negative way. So very quickly, I wanted to cover four reasons uh, not to covet. 
and this is certainly not all the reasons not to covet. This is just what we're going to cover here today with the time that we have. Uh, number one, it's idolatry. We are going to look at a lot. I was going to. I, I'll never. I'll never apologize for using scripture, but I will tell you we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So if you uh, if you uh, have your device or your Bible or it'll be on the screen, whichever. But we are going to look at a lot of scripture today. It's idolatry. Let's look at Ephesians five five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So, wow, we took a real jump from just wanting something that's not ours to idolatry. And then one other verse to support that in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, <clears throat> what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So any time that you place something as an object of your desire above God, you are an idolater by the strictest sense of the word, strictest definition of the word. In Romans, it talks about, uh, in Romans 1, it talks about the, uh, the unrighteous and the ungodly, the, the wrath of God being revealed to them. Uh, and it says that they exchanged the truth for a lie and that they worshiped the created rather than the creator. It's a classic mark of uh, the beginning of this, this transformation that you make in your heart and in your soul as you start to covet. The second thing it is, is deceiving. Let's look in Ecclesiastes, and I don't know about you, but I don't know how many can say, oh, I'm in Ecclesiastes a lot. You know? No, not really. But it is a very, it's a great book. Uh, it's very interesting. So we're going to, but work. So we're going to look at a fella that. Uh, well, if if you if if you are covetousness is, is a trait of yours, uh, this guy will be your hero. Uh, in Ecclesiastes two, starting in verse nine. Uh, Solomon says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered... That all my hands had, I considered what all my hands had done and the toil I had expended doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, 
when it all came down to it, he said, I can't get a handle on it. It's like chasing, it's like chasing the wind. You, you can't ever get there. And then, and then in a very interesting verse, I mean, when you think about in verse 17, so I hated my life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. So this is a man who just admitted a couple of verses earlier that it did, if he saw it, if he looked at it, and he wanted it, he got it. Wow. I mean, can you think about that? I mean, <laughs> you know, how many, how many houses and how many cars and how many boats uh, would you have to have uh, to ever fulfill, to ever, to ever get to that point? Uh, where you're satisfied. And there's something that starts happening when you fall into this and you start down this road uh, when all you, when you eat up with this constant desire for, with something that you don't have, it begins to jade. It, it, you become, number one, ungrateful for anything that God has done for you. And you become blinded to all the blessings that he has blessed you with. You know, I know in, uh, when I was in high school, many, 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 many years ago, uh, started my senior year, my old car that my dad gave me when I first turned 16, which was a 1963 Ford Galaxy 500. Uh, <laughs> you'd have to, for those of you that are, not old enough, you don't know what I'm talking about, but, uh, but it finally gave up the ghost, and then, you know, when I first got it, I was like, well, this is better than walking, and so, you know, I was somewhat grateful for that, but when it finally died, I had Mach 1 Mustang on the brain. I wanted a 1970 Mach 1 Mustang more than anything in the world. I mean, I would have given body part. I mean, if I had two of them, I would give one to have a Mach 1 Mustang. I wanted it, and I wanted it bad. My dad, in his wisdom, drove up one day. We had been out looking, and I mean, there was no doubt. He knew what I wanted. He knew what I wanted. Uh, my dad shows up one afternoon with a 1969 Volkswagen Beetle. I was mad doesn't cover it. I, I, I was livid. I was, you know, I was a football player. I was, you know, I was man around campus, you know. Uh, and this is, this is the height, and here again, those of you that are not old enough to know this, this was the height of the muscle cars. I mean, we were, you know, my friends were driving GTOs and 442s and, and Z28 Camaros, you know, and all this, and I wanted them all. So bad, so bad. And I had instead a, oh, and it was this brown, it was this kind of brownish, tannish, it was the ugliest color you'd ever seen in your life. I mean, it was just, it was just ugly. And, and, but I look back now and I think, you know, how many kids had to ride a bus to school every day and wouldn't have been proud to have that. But I couldn't see that. Uh, 
Or, oh, as, as Providence would have it, like a friend of mine on the football team about that lived four or five houses down from me, guess what his dad gave him on his senior year? A Mark 1 Mustang. It, it, it jades you. You start becoming dissatisfied with everything that you have in your life. It's, it's like a bad taste that you can't get out of your mouth. Your whole life turns to this sour because you can't have what you want or you didn't get what you want. And so it, 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 uh, it, you become diseased in the heart because of this. And then one more point I wanted to make. This is almost a, this is kind of another, almost another reason, but I came in here. There's, there's something else that we need to, we won't go to the scripture, but in uh, Luke 12 is one of the places you can find it, is the parable of the rich fool. And just quickly, uh, you know, he was, he was, there was a rich farmer It said he was rich from the very beginning, and he had a bumper crop. It said his lands yielded abundantly. So he looked at what, his, what had happened, how, how the, his harvest had gone. He said, I don't have room. I don't have any place. I can't, I can't store all that, that, uh, that the harvest has. What am I going to do? So he thought about it just a little while. He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a bigger barn. We're going to build bigger barns so I can put it all in there. And that's what he does. He builds bigger barns and he puts it all in there. And then when he gets all through with that, he goes back. He says, ah, I can take it easy now. Uh, I got plenty stored up. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord comes to him and he says, fool. Because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. You're deceived if you think that you can live for nothing but yourself because you don't know how long you're going to be here. And what a sad thing that this man ended up because he obviously was not ready for God to call for his soul. Number three, it's insatiable. Let's look at uh, Solomon again in Ecclesiastes. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 10, and this is a pretty simple principle, and you know this. Uh, verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth <clears throat> with his income. This also is vanity. And then in, and then in, uh, in verse... Uh, in six and uh, chapter six and seven, uh, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. And and I know that all of us have experienced this in some way, to some degree, or whatever. But once you start uh, down that road, yeah, I, I don't know. Anybody ever? Uh, you know, not everybody has to worry about their weight, but uh, you know, you ever been on a diet? And then something, you decide, okay, nope, I'm not dieting today. And then, and you just binge. I mean, I'm talking about, and it, but it's, it, it's like you're insatiable. You, you can't, 
You know, you've eaten the half gallon of bluebell ice cream, you know, and, and the cookies, you've wiped out everything in there, and, you just, and now you're just going through the refrigerator, the cabinets or whatever, just looking for something else to eat because you're just not satisfied with it. Uh, in, uh, in the 60s, a little group called the Rolling Stones, uh, it's interesting that, you know, the, they were rock stars. Uh, I don't know how many billions or millions that they made off of their albums at this point in their life, but it's interesting that they would sing a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. In spite of all the worldly things that they had, all their notoriety, all their popularity, all their money, because I'm sure that, and you know, these guys at, at this point could have just about anything that they wanted to have, but they're singing a song about no satisfaction. It just, it, it's amazing that how far it can go. Uh, Solomon, you know, if you read on toward the end, uh, Solomon didn't end up very well. Uh, and uh, he was led astray, and it tells us that he, is, that he left the Lord because he began to worship the gods of all the, of his wives that he had. And in, uh, I think it's in, in, first, in first Kings 11, uh, it tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's insatiable. That's the definition of insatiable. I think. I mean, can you imagine what his visa bill was uh, every month? I mean, or his honeydew list? Whew. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, uh, I, I can't even fathom that. I just can't, I can't even fathom it. But, uh, you know, you're going to end up, you're going to end up a warped, frustrated old person. If you don't get out of this, if you don't break that cycle, yeah. How many? Uh, it's a wonderful life. How many? Hello, everybody. Seen the wonderful life? Everybody know all about? It? Okay, all right. You know, do you want to be? Do you want to be Potter? I mean, do you want to be him sitting behind that desk, owning the whole town, and the only thing that he can't get his hands on is the Bailey Building and Loan, and it just eats him alive because he can't have that one little building and loan, but he's got more than he knows what to do with or could ever do with, you know, do you want to be Potter or at the end of your life, you know, or do you want to be, or do you want to be George Bailey? You know, do you want to be, as they declared at the end of the movie, the richest man in town? Not because of how much money he had or what kind of house he lived in or the kind of car he drove, but because of the friends that he had because he had invested himself into them. So <clears throat> we have a choice. Last thing, I'm sure somebody, somebody had to look at the bulletin at this point and go, it grows a beard. <laughs> uh, I've been cute. But uh, let's look at James chapter 1, uh, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, when I saw, I saw that and I started, I, that when it said each of us, when we are lured and enticed, and I thought, those of you that don't know me well enough, I'm a bass fisherman, fairly regular bass fisherman. So when I saw lured, I thought, oh, lured, I've got a boat full of them. And I thought, you know, what is, what, uh, these lures are painted and designed to swim just like a fish going through the water, or, you know, the ever popular worm or a crawfish, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, whatever they seem to be eating on or, or doing that at the moment. But it's a lure and it's a bait. And the thing that's common amongst all of those is buried somewhere hidden within that or dangling from that is a hook. And while it, it does say, and it is true, it is our, our own desires, the problem is the person that you're looking at in the mirror. Uh, when, you get, when you get lured away, when you get enticed, but don't think that we don't have an enemy, because we do, and I don't look for demons under every rock, but we have a, we have a very real enemy, and he's tracking you. You know, how, you know how every website you get on, they're tracking you because they want to customize and you start having these customized pop-ups. They're all just for you and that's because they've been tracking you and the devil will watch you and he will come up with just the right lure at just the right time to entice you away. And then... It says, when we are lured and enticed by our own desire, he said, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so at first, it's a little baby. You know, you know uh, put it in the car seat. It's not hurting anything. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a stolen glance. You know, it's a lustful look. It's a flirtatious conversation. And it grows, and it gets bigger, and it gets more serious all the time. And then, as James tells us, when it grows up, it brings forth death. Death to a marriage, death to a family, death to friendship, death to a career, death to a dream. Because we're pulled away and we're enticed by something that we think we have to have. So what do we do? Uh, I will not covet. I will not covet. I will not covet. You and I both know that won't work. It never works. Uh, you can. You can. You can. Start down that road, but you're not going to, it's going to dead end on you. You're not going to be able to do that because we know 
that we cannot fulfill the law, any of the, this law or any of the other ones, we cannot fulfill it in and of itself. But I'm glad to tell you that uh, there is some very good news. And we're going to look at some of it very quickly. Uh, first thing we're going to look at is in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. Owe no one anything except to love, <clears throat> except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, <clears throat> you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one, in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is for the fulfilling of the law. Oh, well. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how I can really ask. I would like to add to that, but I don't know what I can add to that. If you love your neighbor as yourself, uh, you're not going to be drooling over everything he has or she has. Uh, you know, I've, ladies, y'all, y'all kind of get off because we this is a he thing a little bit. But but it takes to, you know, don't don't think that y'all are exempt from covetousness. But what a great deal! I mean, all of the law is fulfilled in this one thing: love your neighbor as yourself. But I just see. I see one little problem because I know me well enough to know that if I'm walking in the flesh, I can't do this. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I am incapable of it. I'm just like Jesus told the Pharisees and the tax collectors, you, know, you do good to even love the people that love you. But, but God... What a great phrase. Uh, but God, aren't you glad uh, that he sent the Holy Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, uh, 18, verses 18. Where are you? It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then flip over, drop down a few verses in 22 and 24. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, wouldn't you guess what number one would be? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then, wow, what an ending For such things, there is no law. You've made the law null and void. You can go around. You can love as much as you want to. You can spread as much joy as you would like. You can be, uh, you can be as patient and as kind uh, and as faithful and as gentle as you want to be. You can OD on self-control if you would like. No law. You're not breaking any laws. 
any way you want to, any, any, how much ever of it that you want, go for it. No law whatsoever. I don't know if it's you, but uh, that's pretty good news for me. Uh, it gives me hope that maybe I can do this. And I mean, isn't that what, uh, isn't that what the angels told the shepherds? Was, hey, we're bringing tidings of great joy that's going to be good news for all the people. Jesus. Jesus. So we're, we're on the roll, so let's not stop. Let's finish this up real quick. Uh, so we decided that wearing blinders won't work. So let's, do, put, let's put our eyes on something else. And guess what that something else might be? In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, a uh, pastor read this verse last week, and I was sitting there going, no, 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 <laughs> no, don't do that. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. If blinders won't work, what you need to do is replace what you look at. I put something in here just for my buddy Keith. There's Keith. Uh, Keith always asked me, why we got, why, what, what's with the Greek? You know, what's with the Greek words and all that, you know? Well, sometimes you got to know really what was being said. You know, so here in the ESV where it says looking to Jesus, some translations say fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, the root word there, the Greek root word there is, I don't know, pronunciation is another, aphorio, aphorio, I don't know, he took Greek, but, but the connotation is, the idea is, exclude everything else and fix your eyes on one thing. And those that have heard you preach, heard me preach maybe in the past, you know I've used this before, but it just works so well with me. I grew up in South Georgia in the farming community, and 40, 50 years ago, uh, they didn't have tractors like they have now with GPS and plotters in them that, that you know, you, can just, you just let go. You just tell it what you wanted to do, and it, and it does it. But 40 or 50 years ago, you drive through the countryside, and you look out, at these four or five hundred acre corn, corn, soybeans, cotton, whatever it was, but those rows would just be as straight as they could be. And you go, how did he do that? Well, when you turn that tractor around and you start back on that next row, you look down the hood of that tractor and all the way down on the other side of that field, however big a field it might be, you pick out an object, a fence post, a tree, a bush, or whatever it is, and you do not take your eye off of it. Because if you take your eye off of it, you know, farmers would kid one another when they thought, you know, if they went by somebody and they thought, you know, and they were, that was like, 
what do you do? You know, took your eyes off of it, didn't you? And oh, and oh, and look behind you. Oh, you're toast. And so are we if we look behind us constantly all the time. If you look at where you've been and what you've done and the failures that you have and you don't rely on the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, you're going to run in a ditch. Much less have a straight line. But you put and you set your eyes, your gaze, you fix them on Jesus Christ. Everything else is periphery. Sure, you got to get up and go to work every day. You got to make a living. You got to provide. You got to take care of the kids. You got to do all that. But all that is periphery because you're looking toward eternity. You're looking at the end. You're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Finishing up. I think that there's a place, this is hard, I, I, I want to do this, say this, and you know my heart. Uh, uh, if you endeavor to grow in your Christianity and your walk with Christ, to, to take, to continually be taking another step, another rung up the ladder, uh, in your walk with Christ, I, I, I think there's special places that you can be. Uh, you know, when, when Peter, <laughs> you know, when, when, when Jesus was coming to them, walking across the water, and of course, impetuous Peter, you know, I mean, he, Lord, bid me come, you know, and he bailed out of the boat. And up until the time that he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the winds and the waves, what was Peter doing? He's walking on water. There's a play, uh, you know, I think that there's a zone, if you want to use like an athletic term, you know, athletes talk about being in the zone. I, th I think that there's a place where you, where you, you can actually see Jesus, way out there. And the things, as the song goes, the things of this world become strangely dim. And, and it's just, and it's, the, it's the difference between your house built on the sand and built on the rock. I mean, it's, it's the difference between life and abundant life. Uh, it's the difference between walking by sight or walking by faith. Uh, you know, there's a difference between walking in the flesh or being led by the Spirit. It's, it's, it's the life that Jesus wanted us to have uh, because he was constantly saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. We can have it now. We don't have to, everlasting life isn't just for the, the by and by. And so we come down to what we have been coming to through this whole series. You know, on the front of your bulletin, it said, God's good law leads to God's great gospel. All roads 
All paths lead to Jesus. This is what we're all about. It has to be what we're all about. It's the only thing that we can stand on is the blood of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. It, it's, it's the only thing that we can worship. It's the only thing that we can give into uh, and have the life that Jesus wanted us to have. Sure, are we, are we going to mess up like Peter? You know, are we, are we going to stumble? Sure. But, you, you know, you just reach up. You say, Lord, save me. And he'll grab hold of your hand. And he'll pull you back up out of that. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord, who came. Lord, and shed his blood, Lord, and Father was risen again, Lord, that we might have everlasting life, Lord, that we might have that life in Christ that he wanted us to have, and Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you can, Lord, stay our hearts, Lord, that you can guide our eyes, Lord, that you can lead us and direct us in all that we do that we might lead a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm starting over. I was in the wrong spot.